Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 64 of Dean Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my kobold buddy, Ben Bumpop. I don't know if you can really call me a kobold buddy in any form going forward. Why is that? There is an incident. There's There'll be an episode of Plus 5 to hit that'll talk about this eventually. Oh! Oh, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that was a rough one. We'll, uh, we'll save, we'll save that one for after that. Well, on that, on that, uh, horrible realization, how are you doing tonight? Well, you know what? I was doing great and now I'm a little sad. So thanks for that. You're appreciate welcome. it You're welcome. but hey you know what sometimes you got to do what you got to do we'll just leave it at that uh but yeah no i'm you know you know it's a good way to cure sadness happiness and excitement yes and to bring that we have a guest tonight uh mick montgomery is here with us hey. and he's gonna talk some D with us hi mick Hi everybody! Uh, thanks Ben and thanks Ryan for having me on the show. I'm excited. To, uh, I'm excited to join you and actually record a podcast for the first time in I don't know how long. Well, we're happy ah. to have you because you are an amazing person, and uh, you bring a lot of great insight into any topic that you talk about. So I'm very happy to have you along. Yeah, I'm excited. I I listen to DN D N discussions. Did I say it right? D N discussions. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, yeah. Well done. My wife was like, what's the name of the show you're going to be on tonight? I said, D&D Discussions. She's like, that doesn't sound right. I'm like, I don't think it is right. Um, <laughs> but we worked on it and practiced it tonight. Um, but I, I listen to the show every week. And so I, I was actually really excited that you folks uh, extended an invitation. And so happy to be here. Happy to talk about uh, the uh, the game that somehow got me through the pandemic. So let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's let's have a great chat. Yeah. Well, awesome. First of all, thanks for listening. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, oh, it's my pleasure. You, uh, you, I think the discussions you all have are great, and the one thing I can I can honestly say is that I think uh, my players have definitely benefited from me listening in every single week and picking up some tips and tricks and and listening to some of the other guests that you had on. You know, all that stuff is I think the great thing about Dungeons and Dragons is it's just such a plethora of experience and mm-hmm. such a a long long tail of of play um, over the years and. And the fact that really, for some reason, I guess if there's any sort of benefit or silver lining to the last couple of years uh, was the fact that more and more people found themselves, you know, with an opportunity to actually play some Dungeons and Dragons uh, for the first time and or more of it or get reconnected to it. So I think that that's um, your your podcast has really been a part of just kind of my my weekly D&D cycle, you know, as it comes to planning my own uh, campaigns for my group and and preparing to play in the campaign that I'm in. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great part of my uh, Saturday morning uh, errand run. So. Good. I'm glad that we could help out with that. And I totally agree. The, the pandemic really, I mean, it, it kickstarted my game into like high gear doing just weekly until I realized I cannot do that. And then it's (laughs) bi-weekly and yeah, it's, it's going pretty good. Yeah. It's been good. My experience was was really interesting. I, I have been trying to start up a, a group to DM for a long time and, you know, ask friends and people be like, nah, it's not my thing. Don't want to do it. Don't have time. That's a lot of commitment. And then I think I was about four or five months into the pandemic and I it kind of 
sent out a, uh, a text message to all those folks. And I'm like, anyone interested in just revisiting this idea? And everyone's like, yes, please, God, whatever we have to do. What do I have to buy? Uh, do I have to get a good microphone? I don't care. Just teach me how I have to do something to connect with human beings. So. <laughs> well, that's yeah, great. It's, 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 been, it's been uh, two years. It has, it has been a two years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think uh, I can speak for both of you when – this this part of that two years has definitely been one of the bright spots yes. uh, in in the the whole uh, pandemic time. Um, but for those of you who have not heard of Mick before, uh, Mick is actually an old friend of both of ours from back in the days where Ben and myself did uh, podcasting for Blizzard games. Yes. Ben covered World of Warcraft. I covered Heroes of the Storm. Uh, Mick was also uh, a Heroes of the Storm and Warcraft podcaster as well. And so uh, we've all known each other for for quite some time. Uh, Mick doesn't currently have ongoing podcasts, but uh, he's a a very bright dude. And uh, he's got some great insights uh, we can offer. In fact, one of the first things when we talked about this, uh, I, I think you said something like, what? How about we talk about subverting DM expectations? Uh, <laughs> and he can he can say this because uh, he actually is in one of the uh, biweekly campaigns I run. So I'm expecting to hear some interesting, interesting things tonight from that. Uh, don't be afraid to tell us how you really feel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really want to hear it because, I mean, I'm not in that campaign. So if you want to tell me. Just all the, the the weird things that Ryan does that you're like, I don't get this, but whatever, it seems to work. I am all for this. I don't know if there's the weird things that Ryan does. I think it's the stuff that we do to Ryan that's <laughs> oh gosh. And that's and that it, it'll it'll be a good topic because uh I have a feeling that I am not alone in having my players throw curveballs and ridiculous thing scenarios and having my expectations subverted constantly. So uh, that'll be that'll be a really good thing. But Mick, uh, before we dive into that, why don't you tell us just uh, a little bit about yourself? And uh, you're actually running a campaign, too. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. Um, I actually haven't been playing Dungeons and Dragons as long as I think uh, a lot of folks probably listening to the show. I started playing in 2016 when I started working for a video game studio and just like I had wanted to play for a very long time and just never had been able to find the right group of people or the right circumstances to find a game and and became you know highly encouraged by coworkers to you know get into it and give it a shot. So I I, I started my I didn't DM my first campaign but joined a campaign in 2016 and and you know was really kind of once I got through those first three or four sessions where I was like I don't know what I am doing at all <laughs> um, you know and really started to get like. Oh, oh, okay. It's this. I get it. Okay, I actually have freedom. Okay, got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's let's have some fun. Um, so you know, from there, it really kind of took off for me. Um, and then in 2020, you know, I started uh, as a DM, uh, DMing uh, Storm King's Thunder, which is obviously a, a Wizards of the Coast module, um, and our pre-made campaign, and and really started kind of you know guiding a fresh batch of brand new players uh all of my players had never played before except for one um and you know really you know taught them as much as i knew about the game and 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 also you know uh, 
found out later I picked one of the harder uh, campaigns to try and DM uh, as my first, uh, which was which was an interesting experience. Um, but you know what? The, the the feedback was great, and the we had a ton of fun. And um, I think uh, I've been fortunate to continue to keep uh, being the DM for that game. Now going through almost two years straight. Now uh, we've we finished Storm Kings. We've we've now moved on to to Tyranny of Dragons, and and we're doing Horde of the Dragon Queen right now, um, and and that has been just a really great experience. Not only just watching them kind of bloom as players, but then transition from their very first characters uh, to new brand new characters, and saw what that kind of progression for them as players was like as they, you know. Um, shed the entrapments of what they had, you know, started out and really started taking big, huge risks with their, with their new characters. So it's been, it's been a really rewarding experience to kind of do that. And I don't think I've had an experience of play like this since I did live theater and used to do, you know, improv comedy Mm -hmm. a long, long time ago and improvised, you know, straight theater a long, long time ago where you're just kind of setting a stage with constraints and then let's see what we build together. Um, this game has really been able to kind of also feed that part of myself that I, I feel, I guess I was missing and didn't know that I missed. Yeah. I, I was, uh, I was big into improv back in college and I absolutely loved it. One of, it one of my like fondest, fondest memories of, of school and college was, was doing uh, the improv theater thing. And I, I can really, it really resonates with me because as a as a DM, and I honestly think I enjoy being a DM more than a player. Although I love I love being a player too. Uh, there's just some part of that that really connects me, um, and it's just it's just a piece that uh, I loved playing with, and I was in some ways denied or denying myself mm-hmm. for many years. And so being able to pick that back up has been has been absolutely wonderful, honestly, and. One of the things I want to ask, since I personally have only gotten to run a handful of actual Wizards modules, uh, what did you think about Storm Kings? I, I know, like you said, it is considered probably one of the harder modules to run because it can be a lot more sandboxy and there's a lot less direction, especially in parts of it, uh, and then versus Tyranny of Dragons that you're running. Yeah, I, I think um, the first two chapters are pretty straightforward. They're pretty linear uh, in terms of the the story as it's laid out for you. And then towards the end of the second chapter into chapter three, and I've I've talked to other DMs who have attempted to do Storm King's Thunder. I've only talked to one other person that's actually done a full run through of it besides myself. Uh, and I've probably talked to five or six DMs that have, have done it. So not a high percentage of us actually make it all the way through. Um, and everyone says, you know, I kind of bowed out at, at chapter three which is where it it not only opens up into a very broad sandbox, but it's very confusing where you're supposed to go, you know. And the, at least my approach to that was, well, let's give my players as much agency as I possibly could. And they were new too, so they, they weren't quite hip to the idea of really setting their own journey, right? They needed a little extra guidance kind of off game in terms of metagaming in order to, to give them some ideas of what they could go. Um, and what I also found too was though, despite the kind of sandbox feel that it, it starts to take on, um, by trusting them and allowing them to have that agency, what they really developed was uh, some, with some help from me, 
an interconnectedness to a lot of those storylines that was really quite fun. So, you know, what chapter three often does is it says like, here's, you know, 27 random encounters that you're supposed to, you can do whenever you want, you know, in this, this, this chapter, this huge chapter three. Um, and I would often take those and be like, ah, it's not that super fun to like have, you know, stumble upon, you know, 12 orcs raiding a farm. It's not super fun to like stumble upon a random fire giant. It's not super fun to stumble upon, you know, um, be set upon by hobgoblin bandits. Like yeah. on their own, those are pretty mild, right? But if you can create a story where you bind all three of those together into one adventure where you're stopping the fire giant from enacting a ritual that's going to unleash uh, a, a, an elder god in the middle of this swamp, you know, mm -hmm. that stuff becomes a lot more fun, right? Totally, totally. Um, and so I think the the reality is, is that there's a lot of fun to be had if you can kind of quasi, as I saw, quasi homebrew <laughs> within a module to kind of... Uh, it, it allows, the, I think, the, the dungeon master to really figure out, well, how can I create some threads to kind of tie this all together into something a little bit more interesting? And I think that's probably where some some folks really find themselves getting t t uh, tripped up at that point is that it really feels kind of generic and boring. Uh, but one great example that we had outside of the Elder Fire God in the Swamp was um, somebody wanted to have a friend of theirs join for a night. And so I talked to that player, and they were a pretty experienced player. And we were in this stage of the game where, you know, you go to this guy's, they're trying to find a secret weapon. Uh, they go to the castle where the weapon's supposed to be. And the, the castle, you know, the king says, well, my son took that, that weapon and he took off and ran off with this woman. And I don't know where he's at. Uh, and so <laughs> what I set up was that, uh, you know, and then you're supposed to go to the city and you find this guy and talk to him to give you a story. I'm like, oh, that's kind of boring. What if uh, you get to the city, you find out this guy's been captured. Uh, by the town guard, and then you find out that the town guard has set up an underground fighting ring in this prison underneath the city, and you got to essentially break that guy out. And along the way, you have no idea where he is, so you have to find a uh, a gnome randomly in a cell who's like, I know where that guy's at. And that ended up being our <laughs> bonus player. <laughs> and then uh, awesome. you know, we, we, we broke out and fought our way out of, they fought their way out of that uh, that prison and had a bunch of huge memories and involved Mage Hand and um, you know, we were able to then kind of, uh, I was able to give them an experience where then we actually brought that player in full time because they basically rescued two people uh, from that prison. And uh, at the end of the night, um, that player was like, is there any way I can keep coming back? This is a lot of fun. And so again, it's like, you know, take a module, but don't just let it feed you what it's going to feed you. You can add a lot of color or seek to kind of bend it in a way that really fits your players. Uh, and from then on out, from that moment on, I think it was a kind of all bets off in terms of the story and the structure and what we felt we could do together. Yeah. I mean, I love the idea of really just, just beefing up any sort of adventures or side quests or anything that you can find in there. Um, you know, it's, for some people, it could potentially be their first step into kind of homebrewing content. You know, you have a framework to kind of work with, but by adding so much more to it, like story-wise, you make it that much more memorable and just, you know, overall fun. And that is awesome. I'm really glad to hear about that because, you know, there's always going to be, uh, you know, low points in a campaign, whether it is, you know, something that you have homebrewed or if it's something that, you know, you're, you're actually running and, you know, if it's something that you don't find interesting, you always have the ability to punch it up, to do something with it or to alter the content. So knowing that you were able to just, you know, throw in an NPC that turned into a PC and, and you know, uh, 
just I mean, gosh, I, I just love the idea of a prisoner fight club or fighting pit underneath the jail or something <laughs> like like that's just cool. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I felt it was a real aha moment to me when I was like, it doesn't have to be five bandits on the road. What if it was like a wounded dragon fighting a, a zombie bear? You know, that that type of, mm-hmm. I think, is that, you know, and you two have both experienced it as, you know, folks that are, you know, DMs that are doing strictly homebrew content. But, you know, it's that kind of light or that aha moment where you're like, oh, uh, this is just a useful guide. This is not a map uh, for me to have to, you know, strictly follow in order mm-hmm. to get to the destination. Exactly. Um, and I think that honestly leads perfectly in to our subverting expectations uh, conversation. And uh, Mick, I know that you had some some stuff you wanted to talk about, so I'll, I'll kind of let you kick that off because uh, we can talk about this, honestly, both from a player and a DM standpoint mm-hmm. uh, because there's there's definitely <laughs> there's definitely the, the give and take and the push and pull uh, from both directions. Yeah, I, I think so. And and I, I would kind of start off the, the chat by bringing us just a little bit back to like, you know, uh, a lot of players probably have some experience doing theater or, you know, um, some kind of activity where you're going to do a show in front of people. Um, and what I found to be really interesting, similar is the idea that you're you're all trying to tell a really good story, right? In that experience. And what Dungeons and Dragons, I think when it's at its best is when there's a, a real give and take between the player and the DM and the players amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's also at its best when, it, when we talk about theater where, you know, you have performers on stage uh, or in front of a camera, if we're talking film and television, who are really truthfully living in that imaginary circumstance and going moment to moment, not just like, my line is this. Okay, my line is this. Okay, my line is this. Mm-hmm. That kind of rote interpretation of a script or a story when it's more living beat to beat and you feel there's a level of authenticity, uh, Dungeons and Dragons really provides that um, in a really rich environment, a really rich tapestry for you to kind of weave the story that you want to weave together. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is like not taking the thing that you necessarily expect the person to, or not taking the path that you think that has been laid out before you, but not necessarily subverting so bad that you kind of break the dynamic of what's going on in the game. So we all know the the improv rule, right, Ryan? What's the what's the number one rule of improv comedy? Oh gosh, uh, to think about this. Get uh, it's I don't know. You, you make you make crap up as you go. Yeah, the answer is always <laughs> that's right. Ben, did you have a guess, Ben? No, the, it, the answer is yes, and. That's right. The answer is yeah, yes, yeah. and. And I think that's such, as a player, such a huge, huge lesson to learn. I was fortunate that my first group were all professional performers. So they had no problem with that kind of idea of, you know, I give you this, you give me something different. We build off that. We mm-hmm. go. And as the DM, I get to be along for that ride. I would rather be in the position where I don't know what's going to happen next as the DM. I would rather the players give me something and then I have to figure out, okay, so how does this work? And the feedback I've gotten time again from my players is when they feel that I'm being super flexible and just going with it is when they're having the most fun. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's a two-way street. As a player, you have to take what the DM is giving you and add something to it. 
And that should, and then as a DM, you have to be willing to then take what the player's given you and then add on to that. And so a, a, an example could be, you know, uh, you find yourself in town late at night. You see that there are lights on still at the inn. What do you do? Um, and, and that simple starting point, you then can give your players an idea. So as a player, I might say, um, well, I'm going to go see if I can break in through the back door and rob the place. Uh, as a DM, you're like, no, you're supposed to go in through the front door and talk to the innkeeper. <laughs> oh, that's how I thought I'd do it. And you, that's not what you want. You want to be like, oh, okay, let's see where this goes. What adventure mm -hmm. and mess are you going to find yourself in? in? Um, and then begin to, to figure out. Obviously, there are also moments, especially if you're doing a module, where you're like, you guys have to go through the front door or else we're going nowhere now. But um, There's no text. <laughs> There's no text for the back door. <laughs> yeah, so you have to just kind of be willing to do that. But as a player, I think it's, again, it's taking what your DM is giving mm -hmm. you and building off of it. The example, and I might be talking too much, so cut me off. No, you're end. fine. But the example I would take from the game that I'm playing with Ryan, for example, okay? Ryan has built this rich, wonderful, basically secret island that we have stumbled upon. And one of the conceits early on was that we all decided to roll characters that are not native to the island, and none of us knew that going into it. So when we found ourselves in civilization, after surviving all the friggin' dinosaur attacks that he threw at us, um, and we, we stole our, our, our airship and landed in an actual town with actual people who didn't cook over fires in the middle of the swamp, um, we had to interact with society. We all had to disguise ourselves or figure out ways around things in order to make that story work because there was no fur bogs. Uh, there were no rabbit folk uh, in Ryan's, uh, in this world that Ryan had created. And so one of our solutions was our fur bog, which would be me, uh, in order to get around town with the rabbit folk that we have, our artificer, is uh, we just shoved him in my backpack. And uh, that's what we had to do. And we <laughs> we then decided as a group that we had to find some kind of decent disguise so uh, Dane, our, our artificer, could, you know, get around town on his own. So we went to, I think it was an engineer or a tinkerer, uh, because Dane was like, I just got to get some tinkering tools. And I remember looking at our mage, or sorry, our wizard on screen, and I was like, oh, no, we've imprisoned you in my backpack, so this won't be great. And uh, so we basically set up a scenario where Ryan is the NPC, you know, of the uh, the engineering shop or the tinker shop is trying to answer our questions. So uh, our wizard and myself just started, you know, screwing uh, with the scenario, and we're like, hey, do you happen to have, we see all these robot people walking around here, these uh, Warforged people. Uh, do you have any of those that are like hollow that we could buy? And and I remember Ryan just stopping and going, wait, what? There's the, we're like, <laughs> what we're basically looking for is a robot for a baby. Uh, do you have a robot that's like for a baby that we can stick a baby inside so the baby can walk around the town? And I just remember the the microphone going mute like it is right now on Ryan's screen, uh, and then just you know hand uh, like you know hand to to forehead uh, giggling and laughing, and and again, that's where you're having fun. How ridiculous is it for us to try and ask for a robot for a baby, uh, for the rabbit folk person to walk around? But for some reason that night, that's what all five of us needed to have a good time. And we had a great time in that session, even though it was just your average, everyday it was a shopping, shopping trip. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. 
that was a shopping session and that's that's probably one of the the funnest ones we've done yeah it was i think and we've done that more and more you know i think you you mentioned on the show the the episode where we decided to become potato farmers um <laughs> you know <laughs> Like that, randomly, uh, you know, like what, what, what do we sell? Uh, we should sell potatoes. Why potatoes? I don't know. Just stupid. <laughs> what else are we going to sell? Right. Um, and then it was like, yeah, and then Ryan was like, all right, fine. Give me a nature check. Let's see how great of experts you are in potatoes. And we all rolled plus 16 rolls for, for nature. <laughs> so we're all potato experts. By the way, in real life, none of us know anything about potatoes outside of how to bake them and eat them. But, um, you know, it's, it gave us. And the, there's alcohol that comes and from there's alcohol. Yeah, there's alcohol. There's alcohol, which really benefits, benefits our, our monk, who is also an alcoholic. So, um, <laughs> you know, that kind of uh, take what you get, go in a direction and don't give yourself a lot of constraints and a lot of barriers that you kind of have to play into it a certain way. That has led to a lot of fun uh, in, in all the games that I've played. So the more mm-hmm. that I think you're willing to not just subvert expectations, I would say explode expectations. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the better off, I think, the, the game is for everyone because then you really are living moment to moment and it's not just simply... And that can even go for combat as well. You know, how many of us sit there and go, it's my turn next, I'm going to do this action and I'm going to cast a spell and I'm going to walk over here. And it comes to your turn and you go, I'm going to cast a spell and I'm gonna, and a roll for damage and now I'm going to walk over here. That's my turn. And it's like, well, what if your turn wasn't that? What if your turn was, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to run outside this door and flee. I'm just going to run and I'm going to leave. And mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, no one knows what to do at that point, right? Um, and so that's where the opportunity is so wide open for us. It's just a lot. I think it's just as players and DMs allowing us to have a little bit of freedom and this very loose constraints that we provide for the players to try to live live this imaginary life in. Oh yeah, I had, um, I, I was doing a, a one shot for. Uh, I had a friend from out of town coming in visiting, and I was doing a beholder fight for you know some a group of level tens, and the whole point is that on one of the eye stocks there is like this relic that they are trying to get. So, you know, yeah, they could just go through just destroy this thing, and then that's the end of it. Except our rogue is like, hey, on my turn, uh, if possible, I want to take this rope and try to you know, lasso it around this relic and pull it off. And I'm like, okay. It's one of those things. It's like, yeah, you know what? You tell me what you're going to do or what you want to do. I figure out how it works. So yes. And is very important. Yes. But is also important because sometimes you do have to kind of rein it in a little bit. But the point is, is that you don't want to constrain your, your players at all from doing the cool things that they want to do. If it's something like, I want to jump over this lake. It's like, okay, that's physically impossible. You can definitely try it. How are you going to do this? You know, like give them kind of the, the access and the, the option to, you know, work a way through it. And if it doesn't work, you know what you need to do to make sure that, you know, it's at least fun and a challenge and, and something that they can try to do. You know, it's like, oh, I want to uh, use these fireworks that I got strapped in my belt, light them up and try to jump over the lake. It's like, okay probably won't work but it's gonna be fun to see yeah no and i think and i think the whole the whole piece of that uh i love i love yes and Mm -hmm. uh yes but and then honestly sometimes there are times when you need to say no but and that's and it's not a bad thing too just like you were talking about the the rule of improv in D, &D, 
I, I try to very rarely flat out say no. Because you have yes and, you have yes but, and then you also have no but. Mm-hmm. It's just like, that is too ridiculous or that just wouldn't work, but you could try this. Or I kind of see what you're trying to do, that what you're trying to do, the way you explain it would break things, but maybe we could do something like this that might fulfill what you're trying to do in a more structured or mechanical or fitting method Mm -hmm. for the game. Yeah. And that's one of the things that fifth edition does so well is that it has a lot of like kind of broad strokes for things like abilities um, that, you know, you can just kind of tie in like, uh, you know, I need to learn about potato farming. Um, You know, there's nature there. Uh, You can also just do straight up intelligence. Maybe uh, you want to do a wisdom roll if, you know, this character worked on a farm for a while. So they know about like crop rotation and, and stuff. You know, there's a bunch of different places where you can pull from. Uh, it's one of the big reasons why, like, you know, when uh, just in combat, if there's grapple, um, you can say, OK, do you want to use like athletics or dexterity or uh, just pure strength or acrobatics to like, you know, try to fight this? You know, there's there's different ways of doing things, um, just like there's different versions of stealth. You know, it's not always dexterity. It's sometimes it's charisma trying to, you know, assassins creed yourself into a group of people and, you know, blend in that that's a stealth check, but it's not using dexterity in that. And the flexibility that fifth edition offers really helps a lot in, in these situations of yes, and yes, but, or no, whoopity do, you know, anything that you want to do, you really do have the tools and the flexibility to go with it, which makes that improv and that, you know, storytelling uh, or commutative storytelling works so much better. Oh, yeah. And I, I go ahead, Brian. No, I was going to say, and I and I, I will caveat it a little bit um, because uh, a lot of the things we're, de- we're describing are super fun. But remember, there are different types of campaigns, too, and there mm-hmm. are different types of DMs. Um, and so the type of game you are playing this is one of the things session zero is for. Yes. Like setting expectations. Like if you're if you're playing a module and the DM goes, I'm going to try and play this by the book, then as a player, I would try for the most part and not go way off the rails to something that the DM wouldn't know about or wouldn't be included because I know I'm playing going to be playing a more linear story. Not that there can't be flexibility and adaptability and some freedom within that box. Yeah. But it is, it is still a box whereas more. And um, I, I think we talked about this a little bit in uh, the session zero uh, for our campaign. It's like, this is a big sandbox. I'm going to provide hooks and interesting things, but it's your choice whether you want to do them or not. Yeah, and, and, and I think that to go back to your statement around session zeros, that's the one tip I would give to any DM, which is you're going to talk about character composition, you're going to talk about roles and classes, you're going to talk about all that stuff, which is fine, but having that conversation of like, how do people like to play? As a DM, I like to do it this way, but I want to make sure everybody has fun. Um, you really can get a temperature check for where your players are at. You're going to have some players who are like, I'm pretty straightforward in how I approach the, you know, problem solving within the game. You might have an, you know, 
your own version of a chaotic evil player who's like, I like to set everything on fire. Um, and, you know, so it's good to really understand because as a DM, you do want to give both players the opportunity to live where they feel their strengths are. Um, and, and that is, I think, something that's really, I think it's a great point that you bring up is that we can't overlook how people approach play. And also in those session zero, how you start to foster a new player's identity as a player in those early sessions by asking them the questions that make them think, you know, how do I want to approach how I play this game and what do I not know? And so that, that, those, those two types of extreme players, like the someone who's like, I've been playing since second edition uh, to the person who's like, I did not even read the handbook you told me to buy. Um, you know, both of those players should have fun. Uh, in the game that you're about to play. And you're going to have both of those players in a campaign as a DM. So it's it's good to kind of set the ground rules about what the what you're going to encourage folks to explore and do and really set the tone that like, hey, we're all making this together. As the mm-hmm. DM, whether you're playing with a module or whether, or, or sorry, a pre-made campaign or you're playing with something you just cooked up, you know, in the garage last week, um, in either case, you're still shaping this in the direction of it together, and that's the thing. No two dungeon uh, Dungeons or Dragons games are going to be the same, and that's by design, which is awesome. I mean, we all played World of Warcraft, mm-hmm. uh, and there's basically like eventually this is how you beat this boss, and if anyone doesn't do it right, we're not going to get loot. And that's just not what you get with Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, Elden Ring right now is very popular. It's like, well, you kind of have to approach each of your obstacles in this way in order to be successful. And there's guides galore on how to do it. That's just not the way it is in this game. We we don't have to be beholden to uh, one path to do anything, which is an incredible amount of freedom that I think you're just not going to get. Uh, in some of the more traditional, you know, video game settings for sure, but even some tabletop adventures, you don't really even get that. It's, they're pretty linear in their progression. So, take advantage of it and encourage, encourage it in your players. And players should be encouraged to give it back to their DM uh, and and make them create too. You know, their our work should not just be done. You know, the two hours before the session in terms of planning. You know, really, our our heavy lift should be sticking with them moment to moment and really being able to shape that adventure for everybody as we go together. Exactly. And, you know, that's one of the great things about uh, just making sure that you're open and have communication with your players or with your DM as well. Um, Session zeros are great. I happen to be running a campaign that never had one because it was just going to be a one shot. And it's been years now. And apparently everybody likes how we're doing it. So I really lucked out with that. But, you know, it is one of those things where, again, everybody's working together towards the common goal. Anytime that anybody has questions about something, everybody's very open and helpful. Um, You know, we've got someone who is still relatively new playing. We have people who've been playing for quite a while. And it's just that mix brings those different kind of perspectives into it. And if you have someone who's new playing who really does only play video games and hasn't done, you know, any sort of like TTRPG before, they might think oh this this person i'm talking to right here this is obviously someone important because i'm talking to them or this axe that i found this is obviously an upgrade to something that i have because i found it uh you know it's one of those things where a random magic item they might find they might think that okay i need to hold on to this for the the first big bad evil guy we fight because obviously i found it it wouldn't be in the world if it wasn't for that but you know, open communication with them, letting them know it's like, oh, I have this quest for you. 
you don't have to take it if you don't want to. But if you don't, tell me what you're interested in. We'll we'll play around with that. We'll go that way. And as soon as like it, it's like basically just really opening their eyes to, oh, the world is here. That's when those things really start becoming interesting. And, you know, you can really grab someone that at that point. And even if you have, you know, kind of a, a linear story, if you make it interesting enough, they're going to run for it because they're like, this is great in this pathway. I can still do whatever I want. I can hop on one foot. I can, you know, skip the whole way. I can, uh, I don't know, roll somersaults. <laughs> it's, it's the idea of, you know, you're on the path, but you're still doing it how you want to and contributing in the, the various ways that you can. And it, it makes it a lot of fun. Yeah. And I, I would actually, uh, to pick up on something you said there too, Ben, in terms of the the, the game that you've been running for a while, uh, you know, you didn't do a session zero and you just, you're having fun. It seems to be working for everyone. I actually would say having, you know, having been a listener of the show, I think it's actually the fact that as a DM, you care about what's going to happen mm-hmm. before you get to the table. And Ryan does this too, you know, puts a lot of work and effort into shaping what that what that night should look like or could look like right and so i think that care is what really comes through for the players when we care that everyone is going to have fun as dms and that has got to be our ultimate focus or at least that's my advice is uh, if you're there to have fun it allows that player to say i am going to take somersaults down the path that is what i'm going to do uh because they have the freedom and we 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 as DMs, I think, do so much to enable that sense of play and playfulness to take place. Because if you make it about their experience and you care, it, all that's going to happen. You, it, you just got to mm-hmm. trust that it's going to be there. You know, I, it, we'll talk about it later, but I, I work for a, a very large international video game company. Um, and one of the things that we talk about all the time is how focused we want to remain on our players and their feelings and their approach and their experience of what they're going to play when they decide to sit down for that hour, two hours free they have that night, or maybe even that week. Um, and we we really want that to be one of the best times of their life, mm-hmm. right? And so as a DM, that's my thing too. Like I want everybody to have that freedom. And if that means screwing with me as the DM, and I do have players who are like, tonight's the night where I'm going to just make it a mess for him, then <laughs> let's do it. Let's have fun. Let's make it. I'm not going to shut it down uh, just because I had this really awesome path I felt we were going to go on. I'm going to say mm-hmm. like, all right, so you decided to go off into the woods. Let's see where what's out there in the woods. Oh, look, it's a Wendigo. Uh, you know, like that's the type <laughs> of stuff that we want to we want to be able to do when we make it about them, right? Uh, and so... That's the most important part is is really, you know, as a DM trying to foster that environment where those expectation explosions can can occur by setting out to care that everyone has a good time and has fun. And I think if you just kind of approach your games that way, all that magic is going to happen for you. Yeah, I, I think yeah. one of the, the best examples in, in my game that happened was, uh, you know, I had this whole beholder fight set up. It was like a, a, a two story building. I was super excited for it. The The whole area around there is flooded and they ended up casting shatter on the building, which put all this rubble, just basically uh, nearly one shotting a beholder until the paladin jumped in and then just finished it off all in like two turns. Destroyed the thing, but it was so cool and everybody had so much fun just, you know, subverting what I had planned. And I was so proud of them because you know what? It's something I didn't ever dream would happen, but 
but even more so they worked together planning this thing out and it was actually successful because as everybody knows plans in D&D are only about 3% successful so the fact that it actually went off without a hitch great job on them yeah that's 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 a that's yeah that's a rare rare occasion that the plan <laughs> goes off exactly uh, <laughs> exactly as you like it but i wanted to kind of pick up uh on two things but first uh was kind of something mick mentioned about uh the working together with the players the it's that collaborative storytelling element as a dm it's really good to every once in a while and make sure you make sure you don't put yourself in the mindset of everything is in world and nothing can be discussed out of game because that's oh, yeah. that's a that's a horrible mindset to get in mm-hmm. because you can miss out on a ton. Like what I one of the things I like to do, and I think I think it was last last session or the session before um, with uh, with mixed group where I basically at the end of the session was like, is there anything like how are things going? Check in. Are you having fun? Is there anything more you'd like? Is there anything like from a, from a combat perspective? that uh, that you're feeling or not feeling uh, from a story perspective, those types of things and those types of check-ins, not, you don't have to do it every time, but every, every once in a while are really good because sometimes the players might be like, Oh yeah, I, I want to do a little more of this. Or, you know, that thing you mentioned a few sessions ago, I think that'd be really interesting to, to flesh out and, and look at. And that's good as a DM because Again, this is a collaborative storytelling thing. It is it is fun to subvert expectations. It is uh, and make us DMs think on our toes every once in a while. But at the same time, too, it's also good to be able to plan ahead. Like give your DM a heads up. Of, like I want to that thing you said that sounded really cool. I uh, kind of want to do that. Or those three options you laid out for us. I think we're gonna lean towards this one. So then the DM can go and actually put some framework mm-hmm. around it so that uh, it's not necessarily <laughs> off the top top of their head or or something that is just thrown in and potentially maybe even not very good because they had to just create it on the spot. And so it, make sure that as a as a DM and as players you check in every every once in a while uh, so that you can have that collaborative storytelling effort out of game too. And it will make your in-game that much better. I 100% agree. And I would add to that, like, when you're seeing that dynamic unfolding with your players, don't shut it down. Don't do anything to touch it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, as as former, you know, Warcraft vets, we, we've all spent a lot of time out of, out of raid night figuring and talking through, like, what gems do I need to pick up so that we can get past that 1% wipe uh, on a boss? That's the fun of World of Warcraft. Like playing and beating the boss is good, but talking with the community of your raid team Mm -hmm. and figuring out and problem solving out of game, that's a heck of a lot of fun too, right? And so you never want to shut that down when you see it happening as a DM with your team. I love watching the text threads unfold as they debate which spell, you know, the ranger should be picking up at level six. I love seeing the pages and pages of debate about that type of stuff because that keeps them invested. And it's also a great way to keep your game going because we all know that games can fizzle out. Mm-hmm. But if you're seeing that kind of energy out of the away from the table, you, that's gold. Like that's the best. That's that's where you want people to be living because 
now the game really matters to them. It matters to them because, you know, the, the Thursday after your Tuesday night session, they're still thinking about it. They're still thinking about it, and they're, they're thinking, I, I, I want to see what other folks think about this idea that I have. And that's great. I love it when my players reach out to me and whisper, I, I, would, I really want to kind of adjust my character a little bit or change the personality, and I, I don't know how to do it. Is there, is there a way that we can make it feel justifiable? And I set up an entire one-shot just so we can change someone's emotional journey uh, in the game to be more fun for them because they're like, I'm tired of being this kind of curmudgeon character. It's really, it's a downer for me. Can I shift out of this somehow? And so we came up with an idea where um, they, uh, we, we, they met and rendezvoused with some NPCs from their previous life and that allowed them to like shed this guilt that they've been carrying with them. And so that allowed them to transition. All that was kind of developed and we came up with between her and I, you know, in a text thread. Uh, you know, out of, away from the game. And the players loved that whole experience. They thought it was so great and had a lot of fun. And so I've had my team plot against each other in text threads and looped me in on them uh, <laughs> to, to, to screw with each other. <laughs> that stuff is great. You know, um, that's the type of gold you really want. Because again, if, if the game is living for folks far away from your, your typical play night, that's, that's what you want to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and before we leave the, the subverting expectations, I wanted to talk about it because uh, you gave an exa- a really good example um, and and talked about a little bit like uh, more of a so- the social scenario type thing. Um, I was wondering if you wanted to talk about and give maybe an example of more like a combat type scenario, because they're both very different Um Usually, usually combat is more contained to this this specific, you know, uh, kind of theater that you're in. Uh, but you can do a lot uh, with subverting expectations in combat. Uh, and I was thinking as you were talking through the uh, the shopping scenario, I think the the thing that really came to my mind, at least from uh, our game, was the airship fight. Oh yeah, where I became a toad and ate a robot. Yep. 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 That was a good one. Um, I think that well, a here's what I've discovered playing a druid. Druids are really good at exploding expectations because anytime you could turn into something else, that just you know that's a whole that's a game changer right there. Uh, <laughs> so um, I think that part of that. I think from a player perspective is really understanding and knowing your character. I, I have one player that, you know, struggles with that quite a bit, you know, and, and has come to me many times and said, like, I feel like I just kind of keep doing the same couple of things every single time. And we, we started talking through like, well, what else could you do? You know, what, what is a different thing that you could do? Let's dig into your, your, your character sheet a little bit and, and play with that. Um, from a combat perspective, if, if that particular story, um, I, read that a druid can turn into a giant toad and part of a giant toad's skill set is that it can swallow things it can bite them and then if it rolls a bonus it can swallow them and then they're in their tummy and this was uh, something and... completely unknown to me because it turns out as a dm you do not know the stat blocks of every animal that your druid has the ability to turn well, into some of you don't <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding Those I of no you idea. Idea. <laughs> uh yeah so i was like um, I was playing, and I here's the fun part. 
I didn't know either until that night. Uh, I We were in this fight. We were, we were having a fight in midair. We had basically, you know, Iron Men style soldiers in flying suits, you know, trying to destroy the ship and take it back. And and I was like, man, I've got to think of something different here. What can I, you know, I've already been a, you know, I've already been a, a, a purple magic links. I've already been a big giant ram. Like I've, I've played a lot of straightforward combat oriented beasts. And then I was like, giant toad. Well, that would just be, no one, who would turn into a giant toad on an airship fight? I am going to be that person. And then I read like, <laughs> oh man, I can bite and eat something. Uh, and, and that was, that was kind of it for me. It was like, you know, as soon as one of those soldiers landed on the deck, I was like, I'm going to eat that guy. And uh, I remember Ryan just being blown away by the fact that, you know, not only did I become a giant toad, which sounds like the lamest version of a beast you could transform into as a druid, uh, it ended up being the most fun. To the point where I think even Ryan has, like, hinted that I should do it again from time to time. And I've deliberately been like, nope, I'm going to find this. <laughs> How about rock octopus instead? Um, you know, so I think that there's there's a lot of fun to be had when you really dig into the spells and find some interesting ways to to kind of play it uh i will tell you how a player exploded expectations for all of us um in when i was doing storm was there is one fight uh if you've played you know if you've done the the the, the fireforge level you, or the chapter you know that right beforehand is this big village that's basically guarding the entrance to this forge and the map is drawn so that there's a pinch point and the obvious tactic is that you all hunker down behind the pinch point and take them out as they come through uh, the pinch point, right? Mm -hmm. The basically 300 strategy uh, against, you know, what is a ton of yak warriors that you have to fight who are super tough, uh, especially at the level you engage that fight. Um, our warlock decided to, who quickly identified who the leader was, decided to fly because he had the power of flight. Uh, based on this uh, uh, mount that he had acquired, uh, Flying Fly, decided to fly and kill that uh, the general of that force, hoping that that would you know subdue all the yak folk. Uh, none of us expected him to do that at all. And uh, what happened is he got himself in real trouble, and then he went down. Right. And so what created what's changed from like let's a hunker down and wait this fight out approach for the strategy for the rest of the players was. How do we rescue Krat from the mess that he has gotten himself into? Uh, and the the amount of combat gymnastics that were employed to somehow save him was a real fun adventure. And the night basically became a rescue mission when it should have been uh, more of a defense tower fight, uh, which is what I was expecting. It suddenly became, you know, this really great... Uh, intense emotional battle because everyone didn't want Krat to die. Krat was like the glue that held the group together. If he dies, we're, what's going to happen to our group? And so they did everything in their power to successfully save him from from almost losing, having our first player death. Um, and it was one of the most fun nights we've ever had because Krat decided to go ham on a biscuit and uh, kill a general and had no business doing it. That is awesome. That's a great story. Yeah, it's a great story. Um, and honestly, I think that uh, kind of leads super well into our our next topic, um, because we were also going to take a little time tonight and talk about 
playing in and setting your mindset in a three-dimensional space. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is super, this is super key, especially as a DM to be able to set the tone for your players with your words. Um, Because all this is happening in your imagination. Sometimes it's happening on a battle map, but the battle map is usually two-dimensional. Sometimes if you're really fancy, you got terrain and you do have, you know, varying heights and stuff like that. That's probably the minority. A lot of times this will happen uh, as theater of the mind. It'll happen on a hastily drawn battle map that is two-dimensional or it'll happen on a two-dimensional uh, virtual tabletop like Roll20 or Foundry or Albert Rodi or something like that. And so I, I loved the example because uh, like Mick was talking about, Warlock had Fly. And so all of a sudden, Fly opens up a huge amount of play space that is otherwise inaccessible. And so as a DM, one, we have to be prepared to deal with that if we have characters that have the ability to really move uh, fluidly through three-dimensional space. But as DMs, we also have the opportunity and uh, a lot of times the need to make sure that we can describe that three-dimensional space with our words so that the players who, again, all in our imagination or all in just little tokens on a screen or little minis on a on a board can visualize what is going on around them and, again, have the expectation of this is not a video game. I'm not limited by the invisible wall here, here, and here. I'm not limited by the height map here. I'm not limited by the, oh, those are... Those are cliffs. You can't climb up those because there's no mechanic for climbing in this game type thing. So having having all this open, and that's one of the first things I tell any new players, is this is not video games. You can try and do reasonably whatever you want. Doesn't mean it's going to work, but you. I would much rather have someone in the mindset of, I'm going to try this and not the oh, there's no way I could do that because I can't do that in a video game or I can't do that in real life Mm -hmm. or or something like that. Yeah, and one of the fun things too is that once you really bring in 3D spaces, the characters themselves actually become more dynamic, which, you know, instead of being a little token and everything like that, it's like, okay, great. Um, Height and weight actually play into the game a little bit. Like, let's say there's a small entrance over there. Well, obviously the gnome or the the herringon or whoever else is super tiny can go through there, whereas the Goliath will just kind of have to stand around and wait. Uh, or if there's you know a a, a high <laughs> I don't know a high counter and there's treasure up on top of it, the Goliath will be able to reach that, or you know get the top shelf items in the grocery store. You know whatever you're doing. You know, get, in get that, that, that space. Even in that scenario, though, you can have a whole hour session on solving that problem. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. Where the Goliath's like, I can't fit through the hole, guys. And you're like, we're going to have to figure out how to get you back into this castle then. 
So there's a whole journey that probably as a DM, you're like, I did not plan for them to have to figure out how to get the Goliath into the castle. Uh, so how do they get, maybe they're going to like, well, we're going to go find a rope. Oh, now as a DM, I got to figure out where you're going to find a rope. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, well, shoot, what's this, what's this castle look like? Are they near a parapet? Is there, is this a, you know, what's the terrain that the Goliath is in? Is he, is it a moat? Like what's going on? You know, how is he going to survive this? What happens to him? While they're all inside the castle, trying to figure out how to get him in. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe they're are they going to like try and stealthily uh, sneak attack some guards and, and open up the gate for him to get through? Like, well, how's that going to happen? You know, some of the most interesting stuff happens in in those moments where you can burn a whole hour of your play session just figuring out how to get Bill the Goliath into the castle. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, he's got to bluff his way on why he's just standing outside this random hole. Outside of a castle. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, I mean, yeah. There's patrols that come along. Yeah. There's patrols that come along. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that can unfold. And what a great opportunity, too, to give Bill, you know, something, his own little adventure that, you know, you wouldn't have foresaw at that particular time. Um, you know, there's just a, a lot of, and again, that's the great thing about the game is that little bit of fun is what you're after. If you spend a whole night trying to get Bill into the castle, that's a great night of fun. I just figured out how to get Bill inside the castle. (laughs) Add a no loitering sign in Dwarvish and have him standing next to it. The guard patrol comes along, arrests him, gets him inside. Then it's a rescue mission from the prison (laughs) or the dungeon. (laughs) That is perfect. Yeah. And and this is and, and, and just kind of even thinking thinking about uh, the various encounters, not even just 3D space, but just the the descriptions and the describing and the different problems like that that players may face. As a DM, it's our job to let our players be cool. Mm-hmm. So one of, the, one of the best things you can do as a DM is study your players' characters. Because I don't know all the warlocks and their subclasses and all their traits. I don't know that for the paladins, the druids or whatever. Uh, there's a lot of times when say Mick says, I'm going to do this. And I'm like, cool. What is that? Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, as a DM, it's good to, to look. Cause like, say, if I know if I have a monk and I never shoot them with anything, then you lose a super cool part of the monk, which is deflect missiles. Mm -hmm. And that is a super cool thing about the character. And that is something super cool that the character can do and can lead to a lot of great moments, but it's on me to actually provide the outlet for that type of thing. And it's the same with several things. If you have a cool, like non-combat type trait that is in your class and you never get the chance to use it because the scenario is never brought up, then you're denying your care, your, your player character, uh, a potential cool moment where they can go, wait a second. I have the tool for that. At the same time though, do not build the encounter relying on the character to know that that's the solution. Have it be a potential solution but, uh, you know, if you're yes, able to yes. go through and kind of figure out a couple other ways to get past this, great. I mean, you know, as, as a DM, anything could be a solution anyway. Uh, I actually had uh, it was a session of, uh, quite a long time ago uh, where I had a problem 
that needed to be solved. It was very important. A whole town was going to be leveled and destroyed. I didn't come up with the solution because I'm like, it's not my job. Players have to figure this out on their own. <laughs> and it worked really well. They were super creative, came up with stuff. Like I, I didn't even look at their, their sheets, to try to figure out how to do it. And, you know, they ended up uh, basically, it, long story short, diffusing these these four bombs that were kind of set up in, in these forges just around town. And they came up entirely on their own. I'm like, that's a really creative idea. Okay, cool. We're going with that. And it worked out really well. Yeah, there's 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 so much you can do by giving them the physical constraints, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I recently had one where they were in a prison situation. And I was... Uh, they were all under lock and key. And <laughs> uh, my druid uh, loves turning into great big huge things, but doesn't always remember that he doesn't always have to be a big huge thing. Mm -hmm. And turned into, I can't remember what it was. It was like a, uh, it was a tiny animal. It was like a badger or something like that. And managed to crawl through, you know, uh, get away from its rest his restraints and get out there and go find and steal a key with his mouth and bring it back to everybody. Uh, but if we didn't, I didn't give them the scenario for him to go, to discover that about his character, then, you know, he probably still would not be playing those things. So now every time we have a solution that requires stealth, he's like, remember, guys, I can turn into a badger or a spider. <laughs> and I can go listen in on what we're doing, you know. So um, I, I think that's it. I, to go back a little bit, though, to the environment itself, half the tone, I think, of the of the game is set by the where you're at, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're in the haunted castle, vividly describing, you know, the cobwebs that are, you know, encasing the walls, the, the, the faint smell of death as you walk through the holes, the strange cold uh, feeling you get without a, a gust of wind uh, as you walk into certain rooms, or whether or not we're talking about, you know, you're at a fair and the warmth of the candlelight and the joy of... Uh, the carnival barkers as they, you know, try to talk people into coming to see their show or to play their game or the the and, and the music in the, in the celebratory feel like all that paints a picture in a tone. And so it's kind of like as a we all see this in really good novels, right, where they kind of describe uh, the room that the hero walks mm -hmm. into and you really kind of get where the where the story is going to go. Your location does so much to set a tone for where the story will go to. And help guide your players, right? And those descriptors can really, um, really, I think, help propel your players to come up with their interesting choices. I did a Halloween one-shot this past year with this group. And the descriptions of the haunted mansion that their adventure played, that they played in for their adventure... That like really lent to the mood. And of course, like I accented it by like turning the lights down in the house and lighting candles everywhere and having a spooky soundtrack because they all actually came over to our house for that particular adventure, which nice. was rare. Um, you know, but that whole setting of the environment for the scene, that really, I think, makes a makes puts them in a mindset that the story is gonna go a certain way for them, right? Mm -hmm. If you're in a spooky castle Haha -ha jokes are not necessarily that what you're after. Um, Unless fun, you're Scooby-Doo. Yeah. yeah, true. Unless you're doing like Scooby-Doo adventure. But uh, but if you're at a fun, you know, you know, fall festival fair and you're trying to find the gnome that stole the jewels, uh, you know, you might by the, the environment might set them up for a more comedic RP adventure night as opposed to, 
you know that. So when you're looking to change up your adventure because it might be feeling a little bit stale, somehow taking them to a new and interesting setting that's a little bit different from what was, what was the previous night mm-hmm. and being able to paint that vivid picture for them, that's really going to put them in the mindset to shift gears. Very much so. Yeah, no, I I really uh, I really like that. Um, and again, this is part of the player buy-in, right? And this is part of one of the things, uh, again, you can do this in session zero. You can do this just kind of throughout the game is the players need to be bought in to the type of campaign or the type of story you're running, whether it's your campaign you're in or whether it's the one shot you're in. Because horror can be hard to do. Mm-hmm. It can. Like it's that's it's just it's just hard harder to do that side of thing. But it becomes a lot easier if everyone is bought into this is gonna be a horror thing. So let's get in that mindset. And we're not in the, you know, jokey jokey, like happy go lucky type mindset. We're in the oh my goodness doom gloom and oppression in this certain area or like like you said this is this is wild beyond the witch light this is a carnival this is there's there's this energy in the air there's the the people laughing and joking the smells of food wafting back and forth and it's a completely different mindset as a dm and a player going into it and that just aids in that buy very much so. I know I need to get better at uh, my descriptions. I'm, I'm light on it. it it's it's a it, it's a it's a learning experience for me. I'm getting there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it is for everyone. It's it's your, but there's meat there, right? There's mm-hmm. there's meat on that bone, and so uh, getting some fun chewing it is is really great, you know. And I, and I think. It's not like you want to gobble up all the playtime doing it. <laughs> They're just you know, describing in detail every crack in the wall. You don't want to token it. No, no, you don't. Uh, not at all. But uh, at the same time, it's it's it can be used to just offer a rich starting point mm-hmm. for where you're at. You know, and and even when you're coming back to the same setup the next night, if you had to pause in the action. Uh, you know, kind of reminding them of where they're at and the tone of that, I think, helps get them back into the space of of play. And it's again, as a DM, it's just another tool in your bag, right? It's just another way to to help shape what's going on uh, for the players that that night. It's not that much different. Again, if you do a lot of physical play, if you do a lot of terrain building, you know, in your mm-hmm. off time, and you're bringing an awesome, you know, dwarven forge set to the table, like. You know, that's another tool set that some players might uh, or some DMs might be able to bring to the table. But I think mood and tone is so important and the environment does a lot to kind of inform that. Yeah. And I and I would also recommend if you have the option available, music and soundscapes mm-hmm. can also really lend to to feel. Uh, sometimes it doesn't work because your Discord bot is down and non <laughs> not exist not existent <laughs> but uh when when you have it or in person uh i usually have my ipad and i just have a playlist and i have that going in the background just on low and honestly that it it can do a lot to set mood or set tone for a battle or a quiet moment or a suspenseful moment 
or mm-hmm. uh, some or maybe more like a reverent type moment or, you know, things like that. Uh, so I highly if you have access to that type of thing, I, I highly recommend looking into it because that, again, like Mick was saying, is another great tool in your tool. I actually incorporated a soundscape one time that completely drove the motivations for the players in that particular evening. Um, the 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 setup was um, there was a uh, we'll just say there was a woman singing a song. It was supposed to be a very melancholy, sad song, um, and you could hear it throughout this particular environment that they were in. Uh, and, but the players, you know, would have to go exploring in order to find that person. So I picked a particular song. That was very melancholy. And one of the players is like, I don't know how we have, whatever we have to do to get this woman to stop singing, we have to do this. I like <laughs> picked it up because there, she was like, I can't take this anymore. And like, we've got to figure out a way to shut her up. And so their entire motivation that night was to get me to stop playing that song, uh, you know, so that they could, because it was making everybody so sad. So, you know, the environment does so much to shape, again, mood and tone, but sometimes it could even become, you know, a motivation point for your players to, to get through a particular uh, uh, setup and get, get further down the road in the story. That's great. Absolutely great. I yeah. want to ask what song, but I don't at the same time now. Uh, I couldn't tell you if I wanted to. I found it, you know, one of those free source. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was like it was like a funeral dirge was what it was. It was like oh. on YouTube. I was like, this is perfect. Oh, God. It was just some woman just be like, oh, you know, and, and, and again, I'm like, I'm, I just remember we were about 10 minutes in because, you know, I had it on a loop, you know, in the in the in the playlist. And one of the players is like, does this does this does this woman ever shut the hell up? Like, what the heck? <laughs> Another player was like, it's making me really bummed out. Like, I kind of want to stop playing. <laughs> like, Mick, can you just stop it? And I'm like, nope. You got to figure out a way to make her stop, y'all. And so they just uh, they, they oh, charged it. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. Well, cool. Man, uh, great discussion guys this is uh there's a lot of a lot of really good discussion uh a lot of a lot of great tips tips and tricks and just uh overall good stuff for for dms and players so uh man thanks mick for uh coming and joining and contributing to to the conversation oh it's absolutely my pleasure uh this was an excellent dn discussion oh (laughs) that's the name of the show it is yeah (laughs) You know, make I, sure you um, leave a five star review on iTunes. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, you know, I will say that uh, you know the, the discussion about environment and everything is great, uh, and I think that leads perfectly into our first community page or community uh, uh, thing that I'm tossing out this week, uh, and that is Dungeon Alchemist. If you want to talk about creating yes. digital environments, this is new. It's in early access on Steam. This is not a paid promotion. I freaking love this thing. <laughs> um, we awesome. talked about this uh, probably about a year ago or something. On uh, it was a Kickstarter. Yeah, back when it was in Kickstarter. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, it's a a program where you have a grid and then you just kind of like draw out how big a room you want, and then it completely makes it. It it throws in uh, furniture, different things uh, that would be like fitting to the type of room that you designated as. There's different environments you could choose from, like castle, mansion, uh, dungeon, uh, holiday, which is a gingerbread house, which is really cool. Um, and 
it, it's great. I've gone through, I played with it. Uh, in fact, my last session, I created just three buildings using this entirely. And I made a blacksmith building, uh, like a, a kind of a barracks thing. And then a, just a gigantic one with a whole bunch of different rooms that as like a medical wing. And I mean, it worked out incredibly well. And uh, you can change the, the, the time of day on there so that if you want to like, you know, full sun, if you want nighttime, everything, it it's great. Uh, we'll have a link to the steam page, but uh, it, you know, the video on there basically goes through and shows you everything you need to know about it. And it is amazing. I just entered in the size of grid I wanted, started playing around with it, making rooms, putting different uh, themes and things. It does all the work for you. It's great. Yeah, I, I have a cool cool. question for you, Ben, since you've actually used this one. Because I remember seeing the Kickstarter for Dungeon Alchemist, and I was like, wow, this is a big level up in you know map design, mm-hmm. uh, especially for, for DMs like me who are, are 100% digital for the most part. Um how does like uh how do you, how does like the token setup work and that kind of stuff? Is that just a, just a drop in JPEG or do they even have like fun stuff for that? Um, you mean for like character tokens? Yeah. Um, I actually exported it into just a um just a two D image and oh, then okay. threw it into uh, Albear Rodeo and then just the tokens you know totally fit in there. Um, the 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 grid setup and everything worked perfectly for the size that uh, Albear does. Um, I know that it has specific programs you can export to, like Roll20, Fantasy Grounds. And um, I actually tried that. Oh, how'd that um, work out? Yeah, so you can actually export. Uh, there's, a, there's a few different virtual tabletop formats you can export to. Roll20 and Foundry, and I use Foundry, uh, mm-hmm. being, being two of those. And not only will it export those for you, it will also export the lighting and mm-hmm. the walls and doors yeah it's three-dimensional like it builds it that way so i actually exported it to foundry and opened it up and like all the the um dynamic lighting was already all set up the door icons you click the players would click to open already all set up the walls so that you couldn't you know move your character in through anything that wasn't a door already all set up so like that that to me was that's absolutely massive massive time savings because a lot of times I would just not bother with that because it just took too much extra time to set that type of thing up. Um, and I love the dynamic lighting. It's really cool. Especially if you do something at night or in a, a darkened, uh, house or castle or dungeon or something like that, because then the characters can actually only see stuff that their characters could see. Because you can set up uh, in each character token the the different vision and stuff like that, uh, but I normally don't bother with it because it takes a lot of time to to set that up and and get it all correct and right. So having it able to do that is a is a huge deal. Yeah, I, I just uh, in our Discord I just threw in uh, two of the maps I made. Um, the top one's just kind of a blacksmith. There's three rooms involved. Uh, all the different uh, like the forge and everything that's in there, all that just automatically popped in. Cause I said, this is a blacksmith room. Um, then the other one with the, the, the beds and everything like that, I just had a big grid drew out how I wanted the rooms, all the doors, all the lighting, everything just kind of popped in there. Um, the lighting's off on those just because uh, we're in a, you know, an underground ruined dwarven city. So, you know, not a whole lot of light going on uh, except the forges were still running. So, but uh, 
yeah, that's just the just the 2D version that I threw in Albear, and it worked out great. Absolutely great. Yeah. Uh, here's what I would say. Like, if anybody, by the way, picks this up and starts making maps like, like Ben has here, go to, like, the Reddit subreddits that, like, post free maps for folks that are running digital games and, and post these there. <laughs> post what you make there because you never know. I, most of my maps I source through uh etsy or a reddit you know in terms of when i bring into the the game especially if i'm having to homebrew something and so resources like this that other players have made are great when it's like oh i just want to have a small fight in a random inn somewhere uh to go hunt down somebody's map and pull it into my game is is such a great thing to be able to do and so if you make this stuff post this stuff and share it with folks because it's uh you never know how you're going to enrich another another set of players that you're never even going to meet yeah very true so yeah, yeah sure. um, Dungeon Alchemist, like I said, we'll have a link to the Steam page on our website. Yeah. Um, also, uh, in our interim, since we only had uh, one episode last month, a brand new D&D book was announced yes. called Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. And this thing actually looks incredibly cool. So uh, this is a kind of a uh, anchor point on the ethereal plane travelers from across the multiverse flock to this mysterious bastion to share their traditions, stories and calls for heroes a crossroads of wonder and adventure. The radiant Citadel is the first step on the path to legend. What journeys will you take? And so this is a, uh, another anthology just like Candlekeep, um, featuring 13 short standalone DD adventures and featuring challenges for characters levels one to 14 which is pretty cool i love that they're starting to inch up on the the upper upper realms a little bit mm-hmm. in some of these official um things <clears throat> and so yeah 13 new standalone adventures a brand new ethereal plane location called the radiant citadel um, every each adventure can be set in any existing DNK campaign. They're all set to be kind of setting uh, agnostic, where you could drop it in because these are just different planes that are connected through this uh, this Radiant Citadel. Um, and a lot of these apparently draw on uh, backgrounds from the writers themselves. Um, this is a all uh, I believe it's a all POC written book like led written all those things. So all these writers are drawing on their own personal stories, heritage and stuff. Uh, and it, uh, the, the, the art they've released so far is just gorgeous. Um, and so I'm, I'm incredibly excited, uh, to see these, these different stories and, uh, potentially use these, uh, as one shot, type type things or as drop-ins for my own stuff so that is going to be coming out i believe uh june 21st is when when that's going to drop uh they'll of course have the uh exclusive game store cover and then you'll be able to buy the regular one on any of your normal places dnd beyond uh roll 20 barnes and noble amazon that sort of thing so if if that sounds interesting, uh, or especially if you liked Candlekeep, mm-hmm. this is another one to keep an eye on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. It it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Plus, hey, new environments, new adventures. It's always a plus. Yeah, no, I think I think this is going to be. I think it's going to be really good. Like, uh, I've been reading some of the stuff. Uh, one of the co leads has been 
been throwing throwing out about just what a labor of love it was um and how all the writers have really been working together and there's some continuity especially with the the radiant citadel in itself uh you could you could basically run it as one big thing if you really wanted to uh and just this is brand new this is this is this has not existed before like this is this is brand new to D lore uh and so having something like that uh, not that i'm personally like super deeply invested in 30 or 40, you know, years of D&D lore because I started with 5th edition. And so and and sometimes oh, I feel like dare you. I know. And sometimes I feel like I'm glad I'd started in 5th edition because uh I don't have a lot of the uh like previous oh, this was like this and now they're now it's like this type thing that I have to worry or care about. I'm just excited about all the stuff because it's all new. It's all new to me. Uh, regardless of if it's actually new or not. So uh, seeing a brand new location uh, from a multitude of different perspectives is going to be. Yeah. All right. Um, Well, Mick, uh, again, thank you so much. Before we jump into uh, our end segment and talk a little bit about what we're doing in our games, uh why don't you promote anything that you've got to promote right here uh i know you at least have a twitter so i do i do it's <laughs> it's, my, uh, it's my name uh mick montgomery over on twitter it's m-i-c-k uh so feel free to follow me over there i do chat a lot about you know all the stuff that i do and all the hobbies that i'm into um in and around surrounding dungeons and dragons uh and tend to drop little bits of fun that have come from the sessions that I've played over there. So feel free to uh, follow me there if you want to. Uh, I also work for a large video game company. Uh, so feel free to go to Riot Games and play any of the games that we offer to players. Uh, <laughs> be more than happy to uh, uh, to give you some recommendations if you want to hit me up on Twitter on what you should play if you've never played one of our games before. Awesome. Coolio. All right. So uh, with that, Ben... Yeah. Let's start with you because I know you've got some really cool stuff cuz it's been it's been a little bit since we've gotten to record. So Yeah, and it's been a little bit happened. since I've gotten to play too. You know, life was really busy, which is one of the reasons why I only had the one episode last uh last last month. But um oh man. Okay, so last we left off, the party had delved into, you know, the ruined dwarven city of Kembir thinking that three years had gone by after the the previous session, which turns out, you know, was fake and false because, uh, you know, mind flayers were involved in altering their perception and memories and everything that was going on. So they went through, they, uh, you know, got out of their, their captivity. They destroyed a, some sort of weird portal like gate that the mind flayers were building and working on. Then they decided to head over to the barracks to kind of see what was going on with that. That's where we picked up. They ended up finding some more enslaved uh, people that were like too far gone to save. So they ended up, uh, you know, kind of finishing off, putting them out of their misery, uh, took care of some more mind flares. And then they're like, okay, we're going to go to this hall of honor, which is where we're heading. This is the the place where the, the MacGuffin that we're looking for is supposed to be. And once we go through there, there's the, the, the opening that we actually entered in, you know, that came in from the ceiling. So they go in, four mind flayers there they're like oh man this is gonna be tough 
So they had a plan. They're like, okay, we're going to split the damage. Some of us are going to go left. Some of us are going to go right. And the uh, the dark elf who was down there with them, the one who was the mastermind behind destroying that other city that, that got away from them, who was with them, you know, with this tentative alliance and everything, she's going in with them. So they go in. One mind flare, almost dead after, you know, just a, a couple turns. And then all of a sudden, from this giant well in the middle of the room, comes an elder brain just climbing to the surface its tentacles whipping out 30 feet out just 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 smacking people around mind blasts are flying left and right people are stunned the bard goes down and all this is happening meanwhile this dark elf just sneaks to the side of the room grabs something puts it in a bag and starts walking kind of towards the entrance but still you know helping with the fight and layer actions are happening. The bard gets saved thanks to a, a cure spell in the Ring of Storing. Uh, or Ring of Spell Storing. Uh, the paladin gets unstunned. Goes to attack. Runs into a wall of force that the, the Elder Brain had put up. And all this is going on. They end up killing all the, the Mind Flayers. Tentacles are still flipping around. And then finally... They put an end to the Elder Brain. And it is amazing. Everybody is cheering. It's great. Dark Elf snuck out on them. But they did get the MacGuffin that they were there for. Uh, with the, the death of the Elder Brain, they heard the screams of all the Mind Flayers in the city screaming out, united at once, because once that connection was severed, they just dropped. So, you know, the classic droid control ship is blown up. Droids are just, you know, gone. So they basically effectively saved the place, there's still a whole bunch of undead skeletons just kind of congregating around blue crystals around the whole city, but they're not hurting anybody. So they ended up popping the teleport, heading back to trade more. That's where we ended. It was awesome. It is very cool. a, it was a, a potentially very deadly encounter. They worked their way through it. Um, and I will say as a DM, I hate stunning people. Because I know what that's like when your entire turn comes around and you roll, you don't get unstunned. But it helps balance the combat, so I understand from that point. But there was a little frustration here and there. But overall, uh, it ended up working out and everybody had a good time. So, yeah, it was amazing. Cool. But even more on top of this, this is the first time that they've gone through a lot of combat without doing a long rest. So, like, they went into this with the bard only having, I think, like, two, three, maybe four spell slots left. And, of course, she went to her, her big move when she was down to, or after she got rezzed uh, with her 11 hit points left. Uh, she polymorphed into a T-Rex and started just biting in on this this elder brain. It was great. Absolutely great. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I'm glad, I'm glad that, like... The, the ultimate fight finally happened and worked out, mm -hmm. worked out the way it did. Yeah. You've known about this for probably the past year because <laughs> I, I have, I was trying to get, I have get so this many up. things that I have to keep quiet. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I forget and I just kind of look at Ben, just kind of like a, is this something I can talk about yet? <laughs> get yourself a DM friend who does not play in your games so that yes. you can spill all your secrets. Very mm -hmm. important. And have someone to talk about it. <laughs> 
Yep. Like, I know secrets about the game that Mick plays in, but I can't say anything. Please don't, because I'm literally <laughs> right here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking oh, of, it. Mick, anything uh, cool and exciting happening in the what, the game you're running or in the game you're playing in? Well, I'll let, I don't want to steal Ryan's thunder about the game that we're playing in, but uh, in terms of the game I'm running, uh, we, as I mentioned before, we're doing... Uh, the group decided they wanted to tackle Tyranny of Dragons, so we're uh, more than halfway through Horde of the Dragon Queen. We've Very hit the good. it's a six it's a six chapter pre made campaign, uh, and we are on chapter six now. So they are working their way through this uh, castle that's way off in the middle of the swamp, and I'm not going to go into the details of where this all leads. But the fun thing is they have uh, they have somehow instigated a. Uh, uh, well, I don't know what the right way to put this is, but a war between uh, bullywugs and uh, lizard folk uh, that are supposed <laughs> to be in a very loose but tenuous alliance in service of the uh, dragon cult. Uh, and so uh, they have great. they've been causing all kinds of trouble inside this castle. <laughs> um, and uh, we had some really fun, you know, D20 roll adventure stuff where they were. Uh, you know, they're trying to hunt down the leader of this uh, dragon cultist group inside this castle. They kind of find this one particular leader and they just are like, they do have a little bit of murder hobo in them. So they were like, let's kill him. And so they try <laughs> to kill him. But, um, you know, he somehow managed to escape due to some poor rolling uh, on the part of our team. Um, and then that, of course, transitioned as, you know, improvisationally, we just kind of going with the flow, transitioned into a courtyard battle uh, between the lizard folk and the bullywugs and our adventurers and the villains from the dragon cult. And so... Uh, we kind of left off in the middle of that fight because uh, we kind of hit our time for this last week. Uh, but this was one, to be honest, this particular chapter, I was really like, nah, this is bleh. I don't know if I really like where this one's going to go. This feels like a very much of a transitional chapter to get mm -hmm. us to the the kind of last final uh, chapters of the of the piece. But, you know, they've done a lot of really fun stuff with it. And um uh, they've really been dipping into their bag of tricks in terms of their different spells to kind of uh, push forward the um, the action. And they've they've really what I've really enjoyed watching them develop is that again, not everything has to be uh, knives and blades and swords in terms of solutions. They've been trying a lot more stealth and a lot more negotiations, and uh, so they're really growing together as uh, players. And so that's been really kind of fun to see that watch to the point where now it's like they're almost becoming. Outside of that one instance I just cited, they're becoming more pacifist than aggressors. Uh, and now it's like, what? how can we not draw swords and get out of the situation? <laughs> so, uh, that's been interesting to, to just kind of watch them uh, see how watch them kind of write how that story unfolds week after week has been really good. Um, and so it'd be interesting to see. I, I can sense that the group is getting a little stir crazy with this particular pre-made campaign and. Um, I'm going to be interested to see if they decide to continue on once we wrap it. They're very much bound and determined to wrap up Horde. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they go for the back half of Tyranny, um, you know, which is where a lot of the meat is. And, you know, if you if you do Tyranny of Dragons all the way through, you get a character to 14. And so, you know, that that's a carrot that's been kind of dangled. I think it's actually 16. So that's a carrot that's been kind of dangled in front of them. So we'll see if it's enough for them to push forward. I've uh, got a couple of folks that have been wishing that they had picked um uh that's strathholm what's the vampire one a curse of strahd 
Curse of So the, the, that was their other option. A couple of them are now kicking themselves because they would rather be doing vampires and werewolves right now than, than dragon cultists. But uh, we'll see how it goes. But it's been a lot of fun uh, working our way through this one. Yeah, I've, I've played that module and I know exactly where you're at. And yeah, I get the, the kind of, okay, let's move this one along a little bit. So totally understand. But yeah, there, I do hear curse is there. very good. If you yeah. end up doing that, what I do that that is definitely considered one of the most celebrated five E mm-hmm. modules for sure. Yeah, what's also been fun too is when we've really had a lull where, like, you know, we've we don't have a quorum, you know, because they really don't like playing together on the main campaign unless they're all there. And I've been lucky that they usually always always show up week after week. Uh, we've been dipping into Candle Keep Mysteries and actually going back to the old characters uh, and picking up where they left off at level Very 10. Cool. So got them to level 11. So the next time, uh, so we did the corresponding level 11 uh, adventure from Candle Keep. So next time that circles around, they're like, can we do the level 12 adventure? So, you know, we've been going back to those old characters and, and, and uh, you know, continuing on their stories as well. That's that's super cool. And Candle Keep's got a lot of really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great one. It's a great one to 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 try out if you've got a long standing group that's looking for a little bit of a change of pace. Even if you're going to roll characters as a one off to to play the level six adventure, or even the level like four, you know the higher level adventures, it's it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Ryan, what's been going on over there? Stuff. Lots of stuff has happened because <laughs> I've had I've had probably four sessions. Uh, between between my two groups since we since we last talked, uh, mixed group, uh, <laughs> mixed group went to a fancy party, uh, and they let the wizard do the talking, which is in our campaign. In our campaign, I love I love our wizard he, Orion. He's he's so fun. Uh, he's very blunt. He's very straightforward, and sometimes running his mouth gets him into trouble. Uh, or sometimes running his mouth gets everybody into trouble. Um, so they they had their whole like potato farmer thing down. They had this agricultural platform they were from. They had this minor house uh, house broco that <laughs> they had made made up, and they were gonna try and do some trade negotiations to uh, get this get this other minor house kind of on their side and. Uh, kind of introduce themselves, and then uh, <laughs> Dane left the wizard and went somewhere else. And Dane is kind of the one. But uh, I would. It's what? What do you think, Mick? Like Baldrick is kind of like dad, dad mode, and Dane is kind of like the always hyped, anxious older brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's definitely he's definitely the sibling that's like, "We're dad said we're not supposed to eat ice cream without dad here." Yeah, yeah. he left. He left the wizard. Uh, so his mouth got him into trouble and got the whole party thrown in the house dungeon for the the evening while they sorted stuff out and they finished their party and their uh, politicking and such. Unfortunately, uh, it was also the night that uh, Major House decided to make an assassination attempt against the leaders of this minor house. Uh, So while in jail, uh, they were witness to the guards getting murdered. 
uh, and were able to make their way out and go up and save uh, almost everybody, even most of the party goers. I was I was actually pretty impressed um, with with how many people they were they were able to save. Uh, mixed character Baldrick uh, summoned a thunderstorm inside the giant nice. ballroom, so that was that was kind of cool. Um, and so they were they were able to drive off, uh, not kill, uh, but drive off uh, at least uh, the the major assassin. Um, and then they kind of brokered a little bit of a treaty with this house and uh, got a lot of backstory on some of the stuff that had been going on, and then. Uh, kind of struck a deal to help destabilize this growing power. Uh, and then they got outfitted with a bunch of toys, including <laughs> mix, mix animals can breathe fire now. Oh yeah. I picked breathe fire. Ryan came up with this fun gemstone system uh, to augment abilities. Uh, but through the process of talking it through in character, uh, because Ryan was playing kind of like, Q from uh, 007 uh, in this particular scenario. Um, <laughs> you know, I was like, so if I put a fire gemstone in my sword, but I turn into a dire wolf, do I get to breathe fire? And Ryan was like, yes, yes, you get to breathe fire. And I'm like, all right, I'll take that one then. <laughs> so all of my, all of the beasts I transform into get to breathe fire. Yep. Yep. So there's there's definitely uh, <laughs> some fun toys, uh, and so next session, which is actually this this coming Friday, um, will be they'll be uh, deciding which of these uh, gemstone mines they want to go to to try and hit and uh, basically destabilize or free captives or liberate for the dragons that used to be there. So that that'll be really interesting. And it'll be fun to see uh, what direction of the the few different uh, types or uh, places they they decide to go for. So that'll be that'll be super fun. And then uh, my other campaign, we we've had two like super emotional sessions in a row. Like it's been it's been wild. The uh, our cleric our cleric uh, lost his parents. That's right. Uh, yeah. Did I, did I tell you? Did I tell you this? Uh, you told us about the, about the party and stuff. Yeah. So uh, after after they were through that whole like dream, like uh, illusion type thing, uh, they tried to figure out where what temple to bring his parents to to try and revive them. And so there were multiple different choices, and I had some mechanics kind of in the background, depending on if they went to the further one that might have had better healers or a closer one that didn't and the different uh, chances. And I actually had uh, my cleric roll percentile dice um, based on like the, the some of the choices they made. Um, and it ended up turning out that uh, both of his parents ended up passing away, oh. which was super sad. Uh, but it, it played... I, it was it was such an amazing session. It played it played so well, very emotional, um, and the the really cool thing is my cleric is a cleric of the Raven Queen, so I've really been able to play that up quite a bit, which has been super fun because the Raven Queen is the goddess not of death, but kind of kind of death, but kind of the in between. 
yeah. the passing point from life into death. And so I was able to kind of describe the scenario where he's in this blackness and this champion of the Raven Queen has come and and talked to him and the this other cleric at this temple is trying his best to heal his parents, but they have been soul drained and drained of life for so long from these, mm. these demons that have infested the city for so long um, that they were, they were too far gone for him to be able to save. But he was uh, the, the champion of the Raven queen actually allowed him to talk to his mother. And mm. so he got to say goodbye to her uh and so it was a very a very cool moment where they just got to talk back and forth before uh the champion of the raven queen brought them brought them on and i i kind of ended it with describing basically him opening his eyes and you know seeing his parents laying there on the table and the small black black feather resting on each of their chests and um it was it was a very very emotional and uh, the rest of the party got in on it as well kind of talking to him and talking through some of uh, some of that childhood stuff. Um, the cleric telling him, you know, that it's, it's, it was really sad, but he should be proud because he probably saved his parents from a fate worse than death. Because yeah. if the, the demons had actually finished killing them, their souls would have been forfeit to, to that sort of thing. So um, it was it was really good. It was a it was a really good session, and he got all super pumped up with a vengeance against uh, the there's because there's this chunk in the center of town that there's still demon activity. They hadn't been able to clear it out yet because, as as I've said before, the background there's there's this huge demonic invasion in the city, and this mm -hmm. is still the aftermath. And uh, so they're a mercenary group, and so they were hired to go in and finish help finish cleaning up this one area that was not safe to go into yet. So he's very much in like, I'm going to kill everything. <laughs> kill me some demons. I'm so mad. And so they go in, they go through all this rubble and such, and he's so mad and they're, they're getting toward the, this courtyard part of town. And <laughs> he rolls two natural ones oh. on his stealth trips and just goes rolling right into the center of town where all these like humanoid creatures with these huge pustules are just walking around doing stuff between buildings and everything turns to him and then there's a massive combat uh where they fought uh, a demon that they had seen back in the really early like level four time frame uh, and they're like level nine i believe now so this was this was a long time ago uh and they so they saw him again and they recognized him and they recognized some of the the pieces of this thing and uh it was it was a very cool very dynamic fight um it was a, it was a lot of fun but there's one demon uh, it's partially a homebrew and partially a kobold press uh demon um, and I highly recommend DMs if you're looking to shake things up. Third parties are amazing um, because they're unknown <laughs> to most people yep. uh, and they have some very cool mechanics. This one in particular uh, had an attack where it could hit a player and it would cause their shadow, it would knock them back like 20 feet and cause their shadow 
to stay, rise up, and then the shadow would try and kill that player. Oh, that's so cool. that it could take its soul. And if it did, the literally the only way to fix that would be with a true resurrection or a wish spell. Um, so our Aarakocra sorcerer had this done to her. And so the cool thing was as she was casting stuff and helping out, the shadow was mimic casting everything she cast other things back at her. <laughs> and so it was, it was a super interesting thing. And it basically came down to the end where she got knocked out completely unconscious was making death saves. The shadow was up next to her hitting her once per round for a death save as well. So she goes down, gets, she fails a death save. It hits her for a second death save fail. And everyone's going, what are we going to do? We can't get to her. The, the ranger tries to heal her. The shadow counterspells the heal. Like it can't, it, the heal couldn't get through. And they're, they're, they're freaking out because they're, they're still trying to finish up some of these, these other things. And our wizard, our little halfling wizard bean, uh, who's played by my wife was like, I'm going to try and sleep this thing. Ooh. Incapacitated. I was like, that is super interesting. Go ahead and give it a try. And so she casts it like third level or something. So she's rolling like nine D eight to try and make sure that she gets the amount of help she needs. And so she does it and it gets back around to the shadows turn. I basically just the shadows motions. It does not move. And so <laughs> because of her quick thinking, because if it had had its turn, it would have full killed. No take backsies that player. Like that was, that was it. Like the, that sleep literally saved that character from only being accessible from a wish or true resurrection spell. And so they were able to get the stuff cleaned up and then they all just unloaded on the shadow creature all kind of at the same time to make sure to knock it out before it got another turn. But unfortunately there was one death save left and our sorcerer rolled and she got a two. Oh no. And so her character died. And the it was the 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 emotion in the session was was palpable. Like you could tell, especially towards the end, everyone was getting super nervous and anxious. Um, and our, our player even told told me after the game, she was just like, "I didn't realize I was gonna get that emotional." Because we've been playing this campaign for probably a year and a half, two years now. Um, We've it, like 35, 36 sessions. We're talking over a hundred hours. Yeah. With characters. Um, it, it's, it's a big deal. It's sometimes you don't realize how attached you get to your character, like, especially after that type of time. And so she died. Her character died. Um, <clears throat> and so our, our cleric just busts his diamond out that he always carries on him. And one of the things uh, that I love about him just from an in-characters perspective he saves a third level slot all the time. Like he will, he literally considers one of his third level slots. Like I don't even have it because he saves it in case this type of situation. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he ran, he, 
he cast revivify and i was able to do a really cool like you go to this cave and uh she's huddled there in the corner it's storming outside and he gets to talk to her uh and then my death system i actually have mechanically a death system that uh is affected by rp and the type of person uh that does the resurrection and that sort of thing so i actually ended up rolling uh, because all characters um, in the way I do it have a death DC start start at 10 and then every time they die that increases by two so it's it kind of symbolizes uh, the soul becoming less uh, attached mm-hmm. essentially the yeah. more you die and so if you die three or four times it becomes much harder to resurrect or the chances of being able to resurrect that person down and it kind of gives death a little more weight than standard 5e stuff does so i roll i roll my dice i show my wife who's sitting next to me so that she can see what i got um and then uh i say that the champion of the raven queen who's standing there waiting uh they look back sun is shining outside he nods to them and extends his hand so that they may leave the cavern in peace and he is able to bring her back uh from the brink and so that's that's how we ended basically ended that that session it was just super super good overall our very first full death in that campaign uh so yeah it was it was it was it was a deal there was uh, we we that was one of the a, a session that we actually all a lot of us took 20 30 minutes afterwards and just talked about it yeah it's 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 high high emotions when when you go through stuff like that and so it was it was actually really good one of my favorite parts of the night was just sitting down afterwards and talking talking through it with with the rest of the the players like all the little points that you look back and go oh if that hadn't happened if that hadn't happened we wouldn't have been able to do this or this Mm -hmm. or it's amazing that you you were able to do this or you know those types of things uh and so when big moments like that, and that's just a recommendation, when big moments like that happen, when big emotional moments like that happen, when a character dies, even if they are resurrected, take some time. Allow yourself to process that a little bit, especially if you've been playing for a long time, because re- whether you realize it or not, you usually will grow some level of attachment. Definitely. To your characters. So. My thing. That's pretty amazing. Very, very action-packed and uh, full of emotion. Both games. Oh. Yeah, it was really good. So, uh, I don't know how we're going to top that one next time, but we'll, <laughs> we'll have well, to see. Like, it's not going to happen next time. Apparently, it's going to take you another like, year and a half to be able to come up with a, a session with that level of weight and meaning. <laughs> yeah. you know, that Rick, I know. Yeah, uh, I'm just gonna. I I know. I'm just. Everyone's just probably gonna be super sad if there's there's ends up being it. We've had a few close calls mm-hmm. in uh, the campaign I play with with Mick, but no, no permadeaths. <laughs> we die literally every session, and somebody dies. <laughs> somebody goes down every time. As the one healer in the group, I'm like, please God, don't run down. Oh, no. <laughs> It is it, th- that group is definitely a little different uh, because there there's no like cleric 
there's no really traditional healer and so uh it's it's usually a little more frantic combat wise honestly oh yeah uh it's it's a very different it's a very different speed than than the other group for sure uh but it's it makes it more interesting (laughs) for sure all right well that is it for this episode yeah you got an extra long episode which is which is fun. There's a lot of great things to talk about. Again, Mick, thank you so much for joining us. Yes. It was a lot of fun to have you. Uh, I'm really glad uh, you were able to make some time and uh, join us for discussion tonight. Oh, it was, again, my my pleasure. Thanks so much for the invite. And uh, uh, it's been uh, great just getting a chance to hang out with you guys for uh, an hour and change here. Oh, yeah, actually, more than an hour to change. Oh, no, this is going to be a uh, who's going to cut <laughs> this one? This is this is good. This is oh, this I don't is cut. the. Uh, oh, you don't cut. You just get a No, I just oh, throw music in there, yeah. and we're good. So okay, good. So the, the, you're getting an opus tonight, D and Discussions fans. We're making we're making up for the 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 only one episode last yeah, month. Exactly. Oh, so it's, totally like, it's like two for totally one. Awesome. That's all. Yeah, yeah sure. Oh, one. But cut it in half. It could be a two parter. How much? Two <laughs> Again, I don't cut. <laughs> oh that's right yeah, that's, that's too much Sorry, work so <laughs> like, i'm gonna throw a bumper on the front of this thing and that's about all we're gonna get that's right well ben uh as we exit out why don't you tell everybody where we can be reached you bet um if you really enjoyed this episode and you want to tell us about some of the crazy stuff that uh, you've done to subvert expectations for your dm go ahead and send us an email that would be dndiscussions at gmail.com we would love hearing from you uh, if you're like, oh, email, that's so old. Uh, what's going on with you millennials uh, or Gen X or boomers or whatever? I don't know what generations are. But uh, if you want to tweet at us, you can do that, too. That's a little bit more of a short form. But uh, send those at DN Discussions. That's where we are. Uh, if you're looking for me specifically, I'm at Ben Bumhofer. If you're looking for uh, Ryan, he is at TBK Zord. And of course, if you're looking for Mick, he is at Mick Montgomery. Now, if you're sitting here listening to the show and you're like, these guys don't know what they're talking about. I don't believe them at all. Well, guess what? Uh, You can hear us put our mouths where our players are. Wait, no, that's wrong. Um, You you can hear us put our knowledge where our dice is. Uh, oh my gosh. When we play uh, on Plus Five to Hit, which is a long form <laughs> uh, persistent campaign. Oh, you just lost it. You just lost everything. That was definitely a journey we went on. Yeah, there, so. I think so. It was, it was a, a journey. I think so. But yeah, we're playing through uh, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden on Plus Five to Hit. I, I recommend it. Uh, like I said, the newest episode, stuff happens. The next episode is going to be a little crazy. So, we're so screwed. Yeah. We are so screwed. Yeah. You want to talk about a group where that doesn't really have a, a, a traditional healer? Well, the bard's got like three spell slots left and people are nearly dead already. It's going to be great. It'll be great. Yeah. Uh, besides that, though, DN Discussions, if this is the very first episode you are listening to, hey, guess what? There are 63 other episodes out there, and I bet you can find them in the exact same place where you listen to this. So make sure to check it out uh, wherever you're listening to your podcasts. And uh, you know what? If you like us, leave us a review. If you don't like us, let us know through email. So, (laughs) yeah. Cool. Well, thank you, everybody, uh, for listening. It is great to be back. Uh, We will be back on our normal bi-weekly schedule. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
in April. So, uh, and again, you're getting an extra long one. So we're trying, we're trying to make up two for the, one. the two lack for one. of two episodes. That's right. Two for one. Uh, but until next time, take care and we will see you soon. Yep. Until next time, be good to each other and goodbye. <laughs>